This is the Getsy Health Podcast with Janique and Tristan Roney. Hey guys, welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. Tris has still not got his voice back, as you yeah. guys know. <laughs> Today is like a, a four. Yesterday <laughs> was a seven. Today is a four. Oh, yeah, well. <laughs> but but like when we recorded our big announcement podcast episode, he was like at a one. Yeah, that's true. So this is improvement, you guys. I do want to say thank you to everyone. I don't know when this episode is coming out. And so all, all the episodes are kind of not in order. But thank you, everyone who reached out to us, sent love, sent positive vibes. We have been flooded with so much good mojo. So we like we have we have the best audience. You guys really just... Yeah, we, we love you guys so much. So You're much. the best. Yes. So I'm super excited about this topic today. We have Trisha Nelson on the podcast. And you, as you guys know, we are launching, we're going to be talking a ton about emotional aspects to the healing journey, about not trying to submit our bodies or like, you know, force them into healing responses, but working with our bodies, listening to our bodies. Trisha Nelson is an internationally acclaimed author and transformational speaker and emotional eating expert. So she, she's going to tell us her story, but she lost 50 pounds by identifying and healing the underlying cause of her emotional eating. And so she has spent over 30 years researching the hidden causes of the addictive personality. And she has the number one best-selling book, Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to Ending Emotional Eating Now. And so I cannot wait to hear from her because she's walked the walk, she's talked the talk, and she's helping other people get through that too. So Trisha, welcome. We are so lucky to have you. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me and welcoming me. And I'm, I'm glad you're getting better, even though it's a <laughs> bit of a roller coaster Thank ride. You. Thank <laughs> you so much. So Trisha, tell us your story. What was happening in your lifetime? And were you into health before you lost the 50 pounds or did you lose the 50 pounds and then get into the health world? Well, here's the deal. I started out as an emotional eater, I think from the get-go, like as far back as I can can remember, food was a big highlight for me. So mm-hmm. as a foodie, I love to cook. I love to serve food to others. I love to go out to restaurants and eat, of course. Mm-hmm. And so it was a big highlight for me. And I had no knowledge of it being an emotional issue. I thought I just liked food. Yeah. But, you know, I did gain weight easily, a slow metabolism. And by age 21, I was 50 pounds overweight, like you were saying. And I uh, was very frustrated because I had spent a good number of years already at that young age trying to get to the bottom of it. So, you know, of course, you start out with diets and then you start out with you know, you do exercise programs and pills and potions and lotions as I like to call them. Mm -hmm. And I then started going deeper. I went to 12 step programs. I went to an eating disorders therapist. So I was really covering the gamut of different kinds of solutions. Um, So yes, you know, when you're on that journey, you do tend to learn a lot about health and try these different hacks, health hacks Mm -hmm. and Yet nothing worked for me because I could lose weight from time to time, but I always put it back on it. I'm what you would call a yo-yo dieter. So, you know, I'd lose 20 and then gain 10 and then Mm -hmm. lose 25 and gain 20. And so I had like five different sizes of jeans in my closet because I never knew what size I was going to be. And I was always hopeful, of course, that I'm going to end up in my skinny jeans, Mm -hmm. but I was really all over the map with my weight. So I had some health consciousness for sure. I mean, I shopped at the local 
co-op, you know, and farmer's markets and trying to be healthy. But, you know, I also live this double life where I'm trying to be healthy. And yet at night I'm eating ice cream, you know, and chips and candy and, you know, Hershey's kisses and feeling like total crap, you know, and especially when you do have health consciousness and you're like, oh, but I'm trying to be healthy. And then you're going off you know, the reservation, like right. once a week or so, you feel like, like such a loser. Cause you're like, I know better. I know what healthy eating looks like, but when push comes to shove, I just want my sweets, yeah. you know? And yes. so that's really what happened for me. That's amazing. How did you figure out the missing piece? Like, what was that for you? Did you reach a point where you're like, I am done with all the experts. I am done with like, did you have to super sleuth your own headspace and figure this out? Yeah. What happened for me is, I mean, when you do beat your head against the wall with diets, I mean, so many things, so many hacks, so many different angles. And when you've done so much of that, you get kind of defeated, you know? And I, so here I was, I was still young and yet I tried so many things. I'd actually lost some weight and I was about to go back up the scale again. Cause that was my habit and mm. I knew it. So I was sitting there with a friend one day and I was sitting on the couch. Um, he came over to visit and, and I got some grapes out. So I got some red grapes, you know, pretty innocuous food. So I got red grapes out and we're sitting there and eating you know, chatting. And then he gets up to leave and I look down and all the grapes are gone, but I did most of the eating. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got them to be a good host, but I ended up gobbling them all up myself. Yeah. Yeah. And in that moment, I remember thinking, oh my God, like it's starting again. Mm-hmm. And even though it was only grapes, like, trust me, I knew how to eat much harder food than that. But, but that was like, I was unconsciously snacking, eating, and, and there's a good amount of sugar in red grapes. Let's right, be clear. Right. So, so the fact that I eaten this whole bowl of grapes, I just had that sinking feeling of, oh my God, I'm about, like I'd lost 40 pounds at that time. Mm-hmm. I was, I'm about to go back up the scale again. Yeah. And I had this kind of epiphany, which is if I don't do something like drastically different than what I've done in the past, this is going to be my life for the next many, many decades, up and down, up and down, disappointment after disappointment, you know, getting your hopes up and then blowing it. And so I thought I've got to do something different. And what happened after that time that I had that thought was that I met somebody who was more of a spiritual healer and he showed me how to really go deeper and deal Mm -hmm. with the underlying causes, like the emotional causes. And I'd never done that before. I was always focused on the symptom of food and weight. And it is just that a symptom. And which is why it never lasted for me is that I hadn't gotten to the real problem. Like how did I get to unhealthy eating in the first place? What was driving that? Mm -hmm. What was driving me to open the refrigerator door 10 times a night wondering what can satisfy me? You know, that those are the questions I needed to answer. And when I found somebody who could guide me, you know, really like a, a mentor or a coach, that's when my life really changed. And I was able to keep the weight off and never put it back on again. Amazing. So you reach this point and you're like, okay, something has to change. You find the spiritual leader. And then how did you start heal your hunger? Like, what did you do and what drove you to, to start this? Yeah. So what happened is when I healed and I was on, it was kind of like a, 
you know, a good year long journey of healing. Well, it's been a lifelong journey actually, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) let's be clear. But at the time, you know, I did a lot of intense work and I, you know, after a year or so, I was in so much of a better place and I didn't have the cravings anymore. Um, I was in a thin body and I could handle being in a thin body because that's, you know, a whole thing in and of yes. itself, you know, right. feeling worthy of being thin or feeling comfortable with mm-hmm. more feelings, you know, that come when you're not covering it up with food. So after that, I started helping the man who helped me. I started kind of assisting him in helping other people with many different kinds of addictions, but usually with the food issue more, yeah. more often than not. And yeah. so I spent the next 25 or 30 years doing that work with him alongside him. So we worked together as as partners for many years. And then about four years ago is when I decided to really just focus on emotional eating because I really saw that as the crux of the problem in so many health issues you know, everybody's trying to get to the bottom of their autoimmune issues or their gut issues or their, you know, weight issues or mm-hmm. diabetes. I mean, you name it, whatever the health problem, diet plays a major part of getting the problem and yeah. then healing the problem. Yeah, right. Sure. And mm-hmm. so I just saw that this is really the gap is that people can't get, you know, over the finish line with their health goals unless they address emotional eating. Yes. If they, if that's an issue for them, And unless that's addressed, they're going to keep putting, you know, good money after bad, trying to heal their bodies without like realizing a good part of the problem is that they're eating crappy foods for emotional reasons. And so that's really when I decided to start Heal Your Hunger. And I started my, I have a podcast called the Heal Your Hunger Show. And I came out with my book that you mentioned earlier and started a, you know, a comprehensive program that people could go through to learn my step-by-step process. And I just codified what I did to heal. You know, and what I do to this day, you know, Mm -hmm. I definitely have to walk my talk because I'm not cured. You know, I still have that amazing affinity, you know, for food, but I I don't act out on it because of the steps that I teach people and Mm -hmm. I still do today. So I want to like go way, way back because we are raising a six-year-old and a three-year-old and I'm already hearing negative talk in my six-year-old. And, and I think this is like the normal human experience, right? And what's interesting is we don't like listeners are probably not going to believe this, but I don't do negative talk about my body ever. Have you ever heard me be like, no, no she never, has. I, I actually never has. don't like, I'm, I'm actually a That's very confident person and, and I'm very plain. Like I don't wear a lot of makeup. I don't do my hair. So I, I haven't modeled this obsession to my children and yet they are very self-conscious about how they look. I had this really intense conversation with my mm. six-year-old yesterday about the moles and how he doesn't like them and how he doesn't think he looks good. And it blew my mind blew my mind. And so I want to go back to why, because now we take these, like, I think these innate insecurities, we couple them with highly addictive foods and we have the perfect storm for enmeshment and codependence, right? Yeah. With food. Why, why, why do we get there? Like what, what is happening to people on a emotional level, a physical level, that we are becoming addicts from such a young age and we are so emotionally enmeshed with food at such a young age. What's happening? 
It's a complicated answer. Um, you know, I think our culture definitely, you know, is a major contributor to yeah. it. I mean, it, especially with social media now. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, and we had it long before social media. I mean, I'm I'm no spring chicken. So, I mean, magazines, photoshopped images of women, you know, I mean, everything always looking right. good, airbrushed, you know, it has to look perfect. Right. And that's all we put up on Facebook, you know, and Instagram or the, the hot photos. We don't put the best photos on there, you know, and so we're still getting an an idealized idea of how we should look and that permeates our culture and and, and our our kids as well, unfortunately. And it's still very much a fat phobic culture where even though one in three people is obese, Mm -hmm. you know, it's still very much uh, something people don't want to be. And I mean, for good reason, there's a lot of health issues that come along with obesity, mm-hmm. but at the same time, that, that kind of negative idea of overweight does yeah. permeate our culture. There's no question about it. There's yes. a hierarchy of thinness, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, so it's hard. It's hard when kids have that stuff going on. I'm so glad that you don't, you know, that you're so conscious and, and you don't contribute to it. But unfortunately, if they're seeing, watching TV, yeah, right. you, know, you hear comments made on TV shows and as jokes, you know, about people's weight. And it's just, it's really it's impossible everywhere. to avoid. Right. And I mean, even in Disney. No question. And then you've got, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And and also it's such an unhealthy culture, even though we have a higher health consciousness, we still have, you know, food as drugs. I mean, mm-hmm. sugar as a drug yeah, and sugar addiction is so rampant. Right. And because of people are glued to their screens, you know, into television, you know, the commercials are still running. And so um, mm-hmm. people are still getting messages, not only about food being reward, but right. also the idea that food fixes things, right. you know, and mm-hmm. we, we stuff not only with food, but obviously with pot. Now, you know, of course, all the access we have to, yes. you know, marijuana in different forms and drinking is still there. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just, there's, we're an escapist culture, right. you know, like we treat our pain with drugs, yeah. you know, and yeah. drugs of all different names. Right. You know, I often tell people emotional eaters, a lot of people don't think of themselves as emotional eaters. Like a lot of people are where I was, where they're like, no, I just like food. Mm-hmm. But I, I often tell people, you know, if you struggle with weight, you know, if food is a struggle or even if you're a normal weight, but your head is consumed with thoughts of food. Yeah. I talk about the pep test and this is something that can help people start tuning into what some of those deeper causes are. So PEP is an acronym and it stands, uh, the first P stands for painkiller. So Mm. we use these various drugs and food is a drug, sugar is a drug. We use it as a painkiller to kill emotional pain. And and it's just, right? It's just true. Like we don't want to feel uncomfortable feelings. So we douse them with food. And kids are doing this too. We go to the kitchen mm -hmm. Huh? Like, and kids are doing this too. Six-year-olds are doing this. Four-year-olds are doing this. Eight-year-olds are doing this. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Such a distracted culture. And I think, I think the digital age has brought this on where you constantly have to be checking your phone and Mm -hmm. on the screen. I mean, and multitasking. I mean, we just can't 
sit still with ourselves. We can't. So mm-hmm. we're constantly like checking out. So painkiller for sure. The E in the PEP test stands for escape, mm-hmm. which of course, I don't think there's any greater time than people want to escape their reality than now with COVID where right. you can walk out the door and literally <laughs> die. Right. And so people this year, I think are tuning into the idea of emotional eating more than ever. Like they're starting to say, hmm, I think there's something emotional to the way I'm eating, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't need all this food, but I'm just sitting in the kitchen eating. So uh, we use food as a form of escape because of worry and stress and fear. We want to numb out. We just yeah. don't want to feel, um, we don't want to be responsible for our reality right now because it's kind of hard. And then this last P and PEP stands for punishment, which we use food as a form of punishment, which seems counterintuitive because oftentimes we're like thinking of it as a reward. Mm-hmm. But my experience of emotional eaters is we feel a lot, like as, as emotional eaters, we, we feel deeply. Yeah. And one of the things we feel very easily is guilt. Right. And so we feel bad about so many things and we beat ourselves up, not only for our eating behavior, but for other things. And we're just, we're kind of an emotional bunch. And so uh, we use food as a form of punishment because it feels like a reward at first. But if you overeat, you know, and sitting in front of a TV for an hour and a half, you feel disgusting. You've got mm. crumbs down your sweater. You know, you're the next day, you don't feel like getting out of bed or exercising. Right. So it's like, wait, I, it was a reward, but now it feels really bad. Like yeah. I just made myself feel terrible. Right. And why would I do that? And it really is for some more subconscious feelings of guilt or unworthiness. And so um, that often drives people's eating behavior or binges as well. So these mm-hmm. are just a few things that I like to bring to people's attention because they're like emotional eating. I don't, there's nothing emotional about my eating. But when I say the PEP test and I say, hey, you're using food as a painkiller to kill pain, as a form of escape to alleviate fear and worry, and as a form of punishment because you feel bad about things and you're not addressing it, it helps people start to maybe ask those questions like, you know, on the 10th trip to the refrigerator, like, (laughs) wait a minute, am I really hungry for food or is Mm -hmm. there something else going on here? And that's the question we need to start asking ourselves so we can tune in, like, what is the emotional? emotional draw between me and that food that I feel like right. I have to have. So wait, 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 hang on, sorry. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I, I'm really curious now, where does all of this fit in with eating disorders such as bulimia and anorexia? Are they on the same yeah. spectrum or is this a totally different process? Well, I love that you use the word spectrum because I really do consider it to be a spectrum. Um, You know, I call it all, I use the words emotional eating because I believe it's all emotional eating. So somebody is eating in excess and they're vomiting, you know, to get rid of what they ate. You know, they ate to excess for emotional reasons. You know, right, somebody's right. under eating, restricting, having one Lara bar a day only plus mm-hmm. black tea. That's for emotional reasons too. Yeah. You know, it might be emotional under eating, right, but right. it's driven by that same pep that I'm talking about. You know, it's still serving as a painkiller, as an escape and as a form of punishment. Yeah. So it really is a spectrum. And I have on my website, I have a quiz which will tell somebody whether they're emotional eater or a food addict or somewhere in between. And they'll actually get a personalized score by taking that um, like three minute quiz, but it's all like disordered eating. So, you know, when somebody does go to the point of being bulimic or anorexic, it's just, you know, Mm -hmm. they're in a lot of pain and they're, they're doing 
uh, more violent things to their bodies on account of their eating behavior. But usually, you know, at the, at the very root cause, you know, it's, it's using food, right. To mitigate their feelings, bottom line, you know, food and other abusive Mm -hmm. things like bulimia or starving or sometimes cutting goes along with it as well. So then what is the difference between an emotional eater and a food addict? Yeah. So it's really just, where are you on the spectrum? So that spectrum, you know, where if somebody takes a quiz, they'll know where they're on the spectrum. It's really qualified by control and consequences. Okay. So if somebody's on the low end of the spectrum, perhaps they like, you know, went on vacation and they ate and drank too much, you know, Mm -hmm. and they put on five pounds. Yeah. Okay. Lots of people do it. Yeah. Uh, They come home and then they're like, okay, that was fun, but now I feel bad. So I'm going to jog extra this week. Like I'm going to run an extra mile, you know, every day of the week and boom, five pounds are off by the end of the week. Mm -hmm. That's a high level of control. So they might be an emotional eater where, you know, I mean, I sort of feel like everybody's an emotional eater. Like we all can go off, you know, off the rails sometimes, you know, it's food is really me and ease. Yeah, totally. Holiday time or COVID. I mean, it's like people will do that, but if they can course correct fairly easily and kind of get back to their normal weight and get back to healthy, clean eating, then mm-hmm. they have a good amount of a control. So they're on the low end of the emotional eating spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. On the high end is somebody who doesn't have that level of control. Plus the people on the low end, by the way, have very few consequences. An extra five pounds that they can take off easily, not a high consequence. On the high end though, in food addiction, which is totally where I was, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I would binge. I was definitely a binge eater. I was never able to to vaunt, like puke away my what I ate, but I I was I packed it on and I gained weight very easily. But basically, I would get ice cream and cookies and chips and sit in front of the TV for three hours, and I'd oh. feel totally sick at the end yeah. of those three hours. And I'd wake up the next day with the worst hangover, like sugar coma mm-hmm. and emotional hangover. Like, what did I do? Right. Like, I can't believe I did that again. I I told myself I would eat that anymore, no more ice cream. And I did it again. So that's somebody who's really addicted where they don't have a level of control and they could the next day say, okay, or I'm going to get back on track. I'm going to jog an extra mile each day this week, but they don't, you know, because it just, they feel so mad at themselves for what they did. And then they starve all day trying to, you know, sort of compensate for what they eat and then they set up themselves up to do it again the next mm-hmm. night because they're starving right. you know and it can continue for days if not weeks if not months so and a lot of people during COVID have done that yeah. you know it's like they just let themselves go because we were in a pandemic like we never had one of those before mm-hmm. it was horrifying so it's gone on for for months for people where they intended to get back on track but they just can't yeah. and if they're in that addicted part of the spectrum it's going to be hard to do on their own for sure. And the people who are food addicted or who do go overboard, even if they're under eating or overeating, doesn't matter. um, They are racking up consequences, you know, not only in their health, obviously when you're eating sugar and carbs all day, you're totally and all the chemicals, right. Mm -hmm. That are in the foods um, that we eat as binge foods. Um, you know, we're not binging on lettuce, you know, or kale, Mm -hmm. you know, to be sure we're, we're going to seven 11 and buying fast food and it's got a bunch of crap in it. So we're wrecking our bodies physically and then our self-esteem, 
self-esteem is plummeting, our confidence is plummeting, our sex life is non-existent because we don't want to be seen or touched, you know, I mean, the consequences just pile up, you know, not to mention the expense of buying binge foods and then having to buy larger clothes or yoga pants or whatever, because we don't fit into our regular clothes. So that's really when you're on the high end is again, lack of control and a whole lot of consequences. There's just a ton of emotional pain. How does one differentiate between emotional hunger and physical hunger? Yeah. Oh my gosh. This always amazes me. I've been doing this work for over 30 years now and it amazes me as an emotional eater. Like I said, I'm not cured. So I'll get off a phone call that's like really stressful and I'll be like, I'm hungry and I'll, and I'll think, what can I eat? And then I'll have this conversation with myself and I'll be like, wait, you, you know, you just had breakfast a couple hours ago. Are you really like that hungry? Mm-hmm. And I'll have to sort of, and this is a conversation I'm like, no, I'm not really that hungry. So what's really going on, Trish? And then I'll, I'll ask myself and I'll start to think, oh, that was a really stressful conversation. Or I don't like how that went or whatever. And mm-hmm. so, you know, my experience is, emotional hunger really can seem like physical hunger so easily. Like Mm -hmm. so much so that after doing this work my entire adult life, I can fool myself sometimes, you know, almost. It's really important in my experience to have a regular schedule of eating if somebody is an emotional eater. And it's, uh, I've coined the phrase three meal magic, which is three eating three meals with nothing in between. Mm -hmm. And what's good about that, notice I said that I I knew I'd eaten breakfast two hours earlier. Well, that's because I ate breakfast, Mm -hmm. you know? And if I have those meals and if somebody's in intermittent fasting, that's fine. Put some, you know, put, put 13, 14 hours between the meals but still have breakfast, have lunch and have dinner and know that you're going to feed your body, let your body get used to a regular schedule of eating so that you have space between the meals and you can have that conversation of, wait, I had a really healthy breakfast. It was good fats, good protein, you know, some vegetables, whatever. And that was healthy. So you're probably not starving the way you're trying to convince yourself you are, in which case it's probably emotional. But my point is when we're erratically eating at different times and there's no regular schedule and we're snacking all day, if there's no space between our meals, we can't even identify what our feelings are, mm-hmm. you know, cause people like to snack all day. So they, they remain relatively numb they're not really able to tune in to their feelings. So that's why I like that three meal magic plan, because I tell people in order to heal your hunger, you're going to have to feel some hunger, you right. know, cause that hunger is informing some of what's going on. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, we can kind of do that sleuthing work. Right. right. So everything that I'm hearing so far is very cerebral, right? Can we talk a little bit more about like the self-love, like getting into the heart space because you worked with a spiritual healer too. So it's not just like self-love, but it's mm-hmm. spiritual healing as well. What does that look like for people? Is that all in your book? Is that something that people can access in your book? If they're like, I'm ready for self-love, I'm ready totally. for spiritual healing. I'm also ready for the structure behind this. What does yeah. that look like? So what's really nice about my work is it is, it's both, it's both emotional and it is, there's a step-by-step process as well, mm-hmm. um, which I find really important because self-love is a very nebulous concept. It's like how, 
like we all know we need to love ourselves, but how do you love yourself? Like right. how, what does that look like? Right. And it is the practical steps of self-care. I mean, we can't talk self-love and then stay up all night eating corn chips right. because that's not loving, right. you know, that's abusive to our bodies. And so, or staying um, in like I abusive relationships or abusive jobs or something like that. Oh, right. Totally. You know, like there's so many well, here's things. Here's the thing. Yes. And when somebody doesn't love themselves, like you said, it it shows up in so many other areas. And that's especially true for emotional eaters, because typically emotional eaters did not get a strong foundation of self-esteem growing up. You know, they usually are, you know, came from trauma. They either had an alcoholic parent or a raging parent Mm -hmm. or some kind of mental illness, drug addiction, whatever. And so they just didn't get a strong feeling of... I'm okay. Like I'm okay. And I'm enough. That was not there. Those weren't the messages that were flying. They add a deficit. And what happens is, and this is why the problem has like a whole lot less to do with food than one would imagine, because as emotional eaters, it's not food that we're really hungry for where we do have a void that we're trying to fill with food. Mm -hmm. You know, my experience is what happens as children, when we do have trauma is that we, very quickly adapt. Kids are amazing and they adapt, you know, to their environment. And so as kids, we pick up these coping tools, which work. Okay. Coping tools, like being hypervigilant, you know, if you have an mm-hmm. alcoholic or raging parent, like your atten- antenna are up, like, you know, everybody's mood when they're walking in the door. Totally. So you have this hypervigilance as a child. Um, you also become an amazing people pleaser right. where you're going to please that erratic or dysregulated person at all costs. So you don't get hit, you know, you don't get hit or get beat up on. So you're a people pleaser. You're also, you can become a good liar, you know, because mm-hmm, you want to sure. cover mm-hmm. your ass, yeah, you know? Yeah. So there's all these coping tools. Like we become, we sort of have a facade about us. We don't let people know what we're really feeling. So all these things that help us get by as children. And of course the eating is part and parcel with it. We use food as a coping mechanism as well, especially if we have sexual abuse. Food is something that we turn to because it helps us feel comforted. Yes. It makes us gain weight where where we feel less desirable. So we use food definitely for that kind of trauma. But the bottom line is it works as a kid, but then as an adult, it's, it becomes a very dysfunctional way of coping in the world. So those coping tools that worked as a kid don't work as an adult. And so what happens is though, is we're stuck in those patterns. Like in my book, I talk about the anatomy of the emotional eater, which is 24 personality traits that the emotional eater typically has. And it makes up our personality. And again, this has nothing to do with food and yet it has everything to do with food. So the number one trait of an emotional eater is people pleasing. Mm-hmm. And so as in, because we don't feel like we're enough. So we're going to like run circles around everybody saying yes to everything, right. being superwoman, right? right? Because it gives us that sense that we're okay, especially if people are patting us on the back and praising all that we're doing. We just love to hear that, yes, you know? Yes. And the problem is, and with this way of being is that we run ourselves ragged. We exhaust our adrenals and on top of it, we get really resentful and angry right? because nobody's ever as pleased as we expect them to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? yeah, yes, so, um, so we're kind of like 
yeah, or pissed off or like, geez, that didn't pay off. Like I just knocked <laughs> myself out and I barely got a thank you, mm-hmm. you know, but this is a good example of a way, like one of the ways that we need to really change in our lives. Like it's not about changing our food as much as it is changing the way we live. Because mm-hmm. if we just go on a healthy diet and we continue to people please and, and run ourselves ragged, we'll go back to the food in no time because we're tired right. and we have no energy and we're looking for that quick hit and validation. My work is really about, you know, going deeper and healing those ways that we show up in the world, those coping tools that no longer work, like right. overdoing and over-pleasing and not taking care of ourselves, putting everybody else first. You know, it's very typical for moms, mm-hmm. you know, especially to do is to just be doing for everybody and forgetting themselves. And right. that's just not going to fly. Right. You know, if somebody wants to really heal their health, their gut and their, their weight, they're going to have to change and be like really ninja about self-care. And that's just the way it is. I mean, I meditate on a daily basis. My clients meditate, they pray, they do things to fill up their spiritual bank account first so that they have something to draw on throughout the day when life is stressful and and when everybody's pulling at them, you know, but that's their responsibility. Like, it's like, life's not going to stop just because we want to, you know, it's have different health. We have to make ourselves a priority. It's so, so important. So these are some of the things that have nothing to do with food and yet everything to do with food, because if we don't take care of ourselves, we will be reaching for chocolate and candy and nuts and that kind of thing to give us that quick energy. And then our bodies will break down and then we will have gotten nowhere. (laughs) So I'm seeing a really sticky part here, which is that in order for people to heal, they need to value themselves. Right. <laughs> but in order to value themselves, they need to heal some of those traumatic wounds that they may have had since they were very, very young. How do they break out of that cycle? Like what's the what's the thing that just kicks them out into it so that they can find that self-worth right. even before they're doing the things that help you develop well, that? Exactly, because that was my experience as we've been going through our trauma this year with Tristan's cancer recurrence, you know, like everyone kept saying, you need to take care of yourself. You need to take care of yeah. yourself. And my trauma response was, no, I'm so enmeshed in his healing journey. I'm going to completely neglect myself, right? It literally took five months of like therapy and more therapy and hitting rock bottom and finding that rock bottom actually had a basement. <laughs> and then, you know, like it took so much work <laughs> to get past past that trauma response and be like, okay, I do need to fill up my own cup. My cup is completely empty. I can't fill up other people's cups anymore because I got nothing. It took a lot of pain to prioritize myself. How do women get out of that negative loop? Is there an easier way? (laughs) Is there an easier way? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I've done that. I'm not married anymore, but my husband did get sick at one point and I did the exact same thing, like total caretaking mode. And the caretaker doesn't really get much attention because they're not the ones who are sick (laughs) ostensibly. But, um, so I get that, but yeah, my experience, I'm going to give you a quote and, and that is that we don't think our way into right living. We live our way into right thinking. Mm. Okay. We don't Mm. live, we don't think our way into right living. We live Live our way way into right thinking. And the reason why that's so important is that, you know, again, back to this idea of self-love, it's just an idea, but we have to put action behind it. And so 
people don't value themselves and then start taking care of themselves, my experience is they have to get support in taking care of themselves and they will build value. They'll build self-esteem by taking care of themselves. And it seems like it would be the other way around. You know, my experience is, especially with the food issue, is that it's really hard to change what's a lifelong habit or addiction on your own, Mm -hmm. you know, and when it comes to food, I think people especially think they should be able to do it on their own. Like what's wrong with me? It's just a cookie, you know, like what's wrong with me? It's not like a needle with heroin in it. It's a cookie. So the fact is we, if we're, we have the addiction to to food, we've had it longer than anybody ever started doing heroin. Like it Mm -hmm. starts like it really early. So it's really deeply ingrained and have to eat every day like we don't have to hang out on avenue b you know or whatever it's like we have to eat every day you have to take your drug out of the refrigerator and handle it and deal with it and put it back in the refrigerator we say it's it's like taking the tiger out of the cage and everyone like glorifies it everyone glorifies this drug they reward you with this drug like your kid goes to school and they give you this drug like you finish a karate class and they give you this drug (laughs) it's so normalized like we we have birthdays And that drug is like all over the table and we don't recognize it's a drug and it's one of the most addicting substances on the planet. And then it's the most normalized. And in fact, you're a terrible person. If you don't give this drug to your children, like (laughs) how dare you deprive them of this drug? You bad mom, you know, like it's really messed up. Like the culture (laughs) around this particular drug that we use to medicate ourselves is really toxic. No kidding. So sorry, keep going. I I interrupted you. Yeah, no, but, but that's, that's okay. That's why you can't do it alone, you know, and people really need to let themselves off the hook and get support for it because it is like the hardest of all addictions to overcome bar none in my experience, you know, and if you get support, you know, there's no shame in that. It's, it's, you know, we don't have any shame in hiring a trainer when we want to get fit at the gym. Like we're like, no, that's the way to do it. Or if we want to get really good at a sport, we hire a coach, you know, that's the smart thing to do. If you're in business, you hire a business coach, you know, Mm -hmm. but when it comes to food, we think we ought to be able to do it on our own. And it's just, you know, we have so many failed attempts. I mean, 98% of all diets fail. So don't, Don't be trying to do it on your own. Get, you know, give yourself the gift of support and then be supported and taking those actions, which can build your sense of worth and your self-esteem and it will build, you know, and a big part of what I coach my clients to do also is start speaking up for themselves because emotional eaters are really one of those 24 personality traits is that we don't we don't speak up. We don't communicate mm-hmm. our needs. Right. You know, we want people to be mind readers, you know? Yeah. And so I really literally am coaching people to start speaking up and say what they need and, yeah. and be clear and confident in the way they speak. And boy, does that make a big difference? Cause that cuts down on their feeling of resentment and overwhelm and, and they start getting help with things. And so there's just so many things that have nothing to do with food and yet have everything to do with how we end up eating right. that need to be changed. And so trying to do that on our own, again, we have too many blind spots. You know, it's hard to do on your own. Mm -hmm. So that actually, that brings up another question for me. From the perspective of the supporter, we all know somebody who is a, maybe a food addict, at least an emotional eater. They might be someone very close to us that we're very concerned about. What is the best way to Mm -hmm. support that person without being 
the one that's attacking them, right? Because they probably feel very judged yes, if you approach right, them. Exactly. How like, do you, I don't have a problem. Like, are you saying I'm fat? Like, I like right. a lot of people probably respond yeah. with that. How do we support from a loving well, space? I mean, it's a good question, and it depends. I think to the the degree to which somebody is copping to having a problem. Like, are they complaining about their weight perpetually? Mm. If they are complaining about their weight, then there's an opening there. Like, you know, and here's the thing. The nice thing about the work I do is it's so different than the usual diet and exercise track. And so many people who struggle with food and weight are so tired of people telling them, like eat less, exercise more, or moderate your sweets. None of these things can they do. You know, like without support and without, you know, and so they feel like losers, you know, because they can't ever follow the diet. So they already just beat the hell out of themselves as it is. And so what's nice about Heal Your Hunger is that it's a different tack than what people are used to. Because I don't talk about diet and exercise because I know Mm -hmm. they can't just go do a diet or get on the treadmill or whatever. Like they've got, you know, they're stuck. And so the emotional eating conversation just takes them on a whole new road and makes it so much more doable. So to answer your question, I mean, I do have friends who will give my book to people because my book, my, and which is all, my book's also an audible as well where Mm -hmm. I, and I've narrated it. And because I've been 50 pounds overweight and I'm super transparent about my struggles. And I even talk about eating out of the garbage, you know, binging, Mm -hmm. throwing the food out and then getting more out of trash later. So I'm really transparent about what I've been through. And for people who have struggled for so long, it helps them to hear from somebody who's been exactly in their shoes. Totally. Because when a skinny mini, you know, or a doctor who's never had a weight problem will tell somebody to moderate their mm-hmm. food intake or whatever, that person who struggles is like, wait, but you don't know. Like, you have right. never been in my shoes, you know? So I would recommend my book, my podcast, The Heal Your Hunger Show, and just let people know, hey, it's not your fault if you've struggled for years and haven't gotten where you want to go. You know, and I yeah. tell this to people all the time. I'm like, you were trying to heal this, like you were doing it at the symptom level and that wasn't designed to, that couldn't right. ever work. Right. Like just, just trying to fix the symptom is never going to give you long-term results. You might lose exactly. weight for time, right. but you'll almost invariably always gain it back. So I think just letting people off the hook by letting them know, Hey, totally. did you know 98% of all diets fail? Like yeah. you're in good company. Like right. it, it doesn't right. work. We have this, uh, this friend who shares her weight loss story with us. She's actually a great like mentor actually. And as we've been dealing with our trauma, she shared her trauma and how she used to be overweight and she started working on the emotional aspect and doing like EMDR and other therapies. And she had this like massive aha moment where she was like, I'm just going to love my body. I'm just going to love it like intuitively, like somehow knew that once she starts to love her body, like the weight's going to come off. And this is someone who loves diet Coke and loves junk food. And the only thing she did was shift her emotional narrative around her body. And she loved her body into losing weight and she hasn't changed her diet. She hasn't changed her lifestyle. And do you know how much she lost? I don't like, but, but she went from overweight to completely normal body weight now. And the only thing she shifted was she filled up her own love cup 
with like self-admiration and body positivity. And I, and I think, is that true? Is that going to happen for everyone? I have no idea. I don't think so. But, but I just think it's like the power of the mind and the power of the emotional aspect of healing is so important. And we, and we keep trying to submit our bodies, right? Like we're going to force you to lose weight. We're going to force you to heal. Like you have to do this, yeah. right? Like you have to take your yeah. supplements. You have to eat eight servings of, of vegetables a day. And when we shift from that, we yeah, have, we're, we're working against our bodies. Right, yeah. right. Exactly. And not with them. With our bodies. Yep. And I'm yes. going to, you guys, I'm going to say this over and over on the podcast. Like when you shift from an, I have to standpoint to, I get to, I get to take supplements. I get to eat vegetables. I get to exercise. Everything's going to work for you. Your body will work for you and with you versus you trying to beat it down into submitting to your will. And so, um, anyways, emotional aspects, you guys to healing is just ginormous. Yeah. And Trisha, like your experience, your story, your, your expertise, like is changing lives. And we are so grateful for you for being on here. So you have the podcast that you mentioned, the book, your, website healyourhunger.com correct and then instagram it's at yes. heal your hunger as well if you guys want more of trisha in your lives and to get her book they can just go on amazon right to order it how do they order yep. your book on my website also there's a link to the amazon um it's heal your Perfect. hunger seven simple steps and emotional eating now and i also have instagram trisha nelson underscore as well Perfect. Awesome. Is there anything else you want listeners to know about you before we, we wrap up any other avenues? Um, yeah, I, I definitely recommend, you know, taking the quiz on my mm. website, yes. the emotional eating quiz and, um, find out where, what your personalized score is. And then I do, um, a quit sugar challenge frequently. And so if you're on my, if somebody gets on my email list, you'll find out about that. And that's a super fun cool. five day journey to just clear and sugar out of your diet. Are mm -hmm. you doing one in January? I am January 4th to 8th, actually. There's, there's probably cool. a lot of people that will yeah. benefit yeah. from that one. Right, right. <laughs> Especially if they take that quiz. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, yeah, for sure. Well, Trisha, thank you so much for your time and your awesome. expertise. And you guys get her book. If this really resonated with you, you're ready to like fill up your own cup and you don't know how, and you recognize that there's an emotional underlying factor that hasn't been addressed, get her book, do the quiz, seek her out, listen to her podcast, because she is a library full of knowledge in this area. Thank you so much, Trisha. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me and blessings to you both. Thank you. And listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll be here next week, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Bye. We love you guys. Bye.